Welcome to Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus, and alongside of... Welcome. Well, at least let me introduce well, you, for again. God's sake. It. No, we don't have to do it again. That's fine. David Silver. <laughs> okay. And we have a guest today that's a long, long, long-time friend, Jai Utah, who has a wonderful new record out, which, uh, would you call it a, a reimagining? Is that a, of, of uh, Shiva Station, a record that you put out quite yeah, some time ago? I think that's a good word for it. It's de- it's definitely not a remix because it's all newly played and kind of recomposed and re-examined. Reimagining is good. Good, you know, Bill Laswell, Jai. That's he, that was uh, something in his lexicon. Reimagine. He used to reimagine a lot of stuff. Yeah, if you now remember he, Bill. he he he. Oh, sure, I remember Bill. <laughs> no, who is that? Yeah, yeah. He well, he mixed the original Shiva Station. You yep. Remember that? And and I worked with him on another album called Thunder Love. He's a trippy guy. Oh, I but, didn't know yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. So th- this is this is quite different, though. So we need to introduce Jai just a little bit, just by saying uh, Jai has been at the forefront of two movements, really. One is the world music, uh, you know, really the uh, the antecedents of world music that uh, came in the late 80s and uh, early 90s. And by that I mean uh, where uh, artists took... Uh, different t- traditions, culture, cultures and traditions, and mix them together into a potpourri that, uh, that kept the initial intention from which they came. And Jai really was one of the first uh, artists to do such. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, which is something we've been doing, you know, meaning Jai and Krishnas and I come from a, a tradition in India, which everybody knows about. Our guru is Neem Karoli Baba. And uh, and and uh, which is kirtan, and Jai has been at the forefront of that movement as well. And um, and the other thing, uh, which is really important, and to me, um, I can't tell you how much I am indebted to Jai by his introduction uh, to Ali Akbar Khan, one of the greatest uh, musicians uh, who lived on the planet who died just a few years ago and Jai was a, a student of his f- uh, for how long Jai was it even f- way over 40 years right I mean well it was about 40 years it, you know it was on and off I, I was I was probably his worst long-term student <laughs> <laughs> but but I you know I stayed connected with him to the very end and he was such a big part of my life. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I was also a part of his life and his family's life. I, I taught guitar to his little boy, who's not little anymore. And, you know, yesterday was his wife's birthday, and oh. you know, we're in contact. And, yeah, Ari Khan, what an amazing mentor and individual. Yeah, so uh, we, uh, as people know here, we had a, a record company called Triloka Records and a, and a a uh, number of records uh, Jai did uh, in the early days came out on that label. And at the same time, um, Jai produced uh, several records uh, with uh, Ali Akbar Khan. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when people ask me, Jai, about that experience, just, you know, record company and, you know, all of the highs and the lows, and there was plenty of both, uh, I, I have to say, and I do tell people that being in the studio, I'll never forget being in the studio the first time with uh, Kansav, as we called him, uh, as people called him, and the fact that <laughs> we would go in there 
And it wasn't, he would make up the compositions in the moment. Talk about be here now. He was, he was a big be here now. And Jai would then translate this to other musicians and quickly put some, you know, charts together, so to speak. And, uh, and, uh, it, it was so in the moment. I mean, do you remember those days? I mean, those were precious. Of course, of course. Kansav. You know, it's all about the moment with concept. I remember one time, I think, I think it was for Garden of Dreams, but I, I don't, I don't remember exactly which record it was. I remember that concept was in the studio, and he spent about three hours tuning both his instrument and the tamboras, and everything around. And you know, it was so focused. And then he played the composition, and you know, it was mostly improvised, and some of it was. You know, it's pre-written. Uh, but it, it had a couple of what you might call mistakes. I don't know, you know, like little slips or whatever. But concept was was completely indifferent to that because, I, and I got the, the awareness from him that he put his pr- preparation in 100%. And then the rest is in God's hands. And there was no go back to change something. Why on earth would you do that? I put my heart and soul mm. into getting ready for this. Mm. You know, of course... Um, He's on a, he was on a different realm <laughs> musically than probably anyone else in this world, you know. Um, but it was, it was amazing that there was no concept of going back and correct, correcting. There was no perfectionism. It was a, per, uh. it was a perfect preparation. And then the, the outcome was whatever came out was fine, was good enough. Mm. It was so amazing. I, I just got so much from those years mm. with him. You know, and one thing that's really mind-blowing, too, I mean, so just uh, folks out there understand a little bit about who this man was. Um, he, Yehudi Menuhin called him, you know, the world's greatest living musician, you know, at, at the time. And his father was one of the progenitors of modern North Indian classical music. Correct me here. Jai knows yeah, far more no, than I. Definitely um, true. And... Uh, and so, you know, he, his son, Ali Akbar, the, I mean, you know, he used to tell us stories late at night. We would sit around with him after concerts and so on, and uh, how he used to be, he, he wouldn't be going to a bed to sleep. He would be in a hammock, and he would be practicing, like, day and night, and at night he'd be in a hammock, right? Yeah. And so maybe dozing off or something. <laughs> I mean, his, you know, and performing all around India and then came over to the United States and started a college, uh, Ali Akbar College of Music. And so Jai uh, and I talked about doing something with him and and uh, sort of audacious uh, on our part, my part probably, to think that he would do a fusion thing, a world music record, you know, that he, somebody of this stature would even consider that. It was like nothing to him. He said, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he said that he used to do this stuff, that he used to work in the film industry when he was much, much younger in India. And his father was, you know, always rather annoyed that he did it. But he composed film scores for right. a couple of famous Indian movies, which, you know, in the tradition of Bollywood, of course, it was, you know, super high level because it was him. But he brought a lot of different elements of, of music from around the world. And, and his father, while being you know, considered the kind of the, the godfather, what do you, what do you 
you use progenitor of, of the North yeah. Indian classical music. Yeah. His father also was renowned for having the first orchestra, Indian classical orchestra. Mm -hmm. He taught taught music to the farmers and to the villagers around him in, in MP, Madhya Pradesh. And, and, you know, they had whatever instruments they, they could find. This famous story about him tuning these water pipes to, to a raga so that they could play them like a xylophone. Oh. And, and, you know, for India, an orchestral concept was completely off the wall. And, and his favorite, one of his favorite composers was Beethoven. Oh, really? So, yeah, so it was not that much of a surprise that concept said yes. But, but on the other hand, he was always a surprise. <laughs> Every day with his, with him was a surprise. And, and boy, what a curmudgeon too, you know, but yeah. he always said, you know, you're lucky you have me. My father used to beat his students. I just <laughs> reprimand you. <laughs> oh, God. I'll never forget one time in class. Sorry. He was teaching one of his father's compositions and he was getting really frustrated with the class. And he, finally he said, you people are destroying my father's music. You people are destroying the 16th century. <laughs> so, you know, of course the class cracked up because how could you destroy the 16th century unless he was like so completely immersed in the parallel universe concept of time. <laughs> right, right. And then he smiled. <laughs> yeah, he was a guest on my talk show at WGBH in Boston in the, in the 60s, late 60s. And um, I'd been listening to his music for a long time. I didn't think he'd do it, you know. But he did a concert in, in, in Boston, and we just called him on the hotel and got him on the phone, and he said yes immediately. But we didn't have his cigarettes, um, and he'd run out. And he was going crazy, you know. And he smoked some esoteric British cigarette, which I think was senior service. It could have been players. But we went out and we found him. And then he was just incredibly charming and wonderful and did a, a short, a short, um, you know, piece of music, but basically talked to us about his father, too. And he was obviously in great awe of his father and maybe a little fear came out, too. But I do remember that he was a bit of a curmudgeon and uh, he scared, scared the hell out of me for a few minutes until I realized that he was very willing to do this interview and uh, we were very lucky, my goodness, to get him to do it. This was in 1968. Wow. Uh, you know. Young man. Wow. Um, but, yeah, we're just wondering about uh, your influences, your musical influences, especially, you know, as, uh, as a youth and, and before you went to India. And, you know, how did uh, the East, you know, come into your whole experience and so on? Well, um no, my biggest musical influences before going to India are probably still the same musical influences that I have now. Um, when I was a teenager, well, I started studying piano when I was a little kid. You know, I was just really interested in it. But um, after a while, I quit because I couldn't, I just, there was no real joy in it for me at the time. Although in retrospect, I, I certainly am grateful for the music that I learned and the understanding of music. But my first real excitement came from old-timey hillbilly music, from Appalachian um, banjo and fiddle, fiddle music, and mm. I got so into that, and I got a banjo, and I became this obsessive little kid. I, you know, I was quite alienated from life. I just could not. I didn't have friends. I couldn't connect. I didn't want to connect. I was just kind of like 
you know, very separated. And, and the banjo gave me a, 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 a corridor to, to follow down life. Maybe you could call it a wormhole into another world. Mm. So I got, I got so into it and, it and it brought me my first, first real, you know, experience of, of some kind of peace. I don't know what it was that the strumming those strings and the brilliant sound of those strings calmed the, the anxiety of my molecules. So I got really into it and, and, and I still play banjo and, you know, on the new album, there's two banjo songs. I, I've never brought it too much into my, or very much into my professional life because I'm just not that great at it, but, but I love it still. And, and then after playing banjo and, you know, actually I auditioned for high school, high school of music and art on banjo. And, you know, I guess they were impressed, but <laughs> you had to play an orchestral instrument to be in the school. So they gave me drums and I spent several years beating on wooden tables with drumsticks, which was the opposite of inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> and, but anyway, um, then, you know, I heard the Beatles and I heard Jimi Hendrix and I heard Bob Dylan and those three people kind of just uh, turned everything inside out for me. So I put the banjo away. I actually sold. I had this most beautiful, beautiful banjo. And today I, I saw a similar banjo in a store nearby here for $10,000, oh, 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 God, you know, there's mistakes that we made in our life. At least it was not a deep soul mistake. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but anyway, so then I got into electric guitar. I pretty much just bypassed acoustic guitar. I didn't even bother with it. But I got really into electric and, and you know, the otherworldly sounds. Jimi Hendrix, the whole thing of Jimi Hendrix just kind of flipped me out. And I started, you know, emulating maybe not his songwriting, but, but the way he played and the way he would uh, seem to, like, crack the universes open with his guitar. Mm. And then shortly thereafter, I, 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 I don't know quite how I was exposed to it, well, you know, it was the 60s, early 60s, and um, I was in New York, and I used to comb these old record stores, the uh, Folkway store, and and <clears throat> find albums. And I, I came across Indian music. And I think the first Indian classical artist I, I came across on record was Ali Akbar Khan, the great Sarod player. And at the same time, I also found some records by the Bowels of Bengal, street singers of of. West Bengal and India, and I, I listened to these, and it was just they, both the classical, as well as the this passionate devotional folk music, you know, totally flipped me out. So I, I came to California. Actually, I went to Oregon to go to college at Reed, and I only lasted for one semester. The the eve of uh, the first classes of of the freshman year, Ali Akbar came. And he did a concert, and I took mescaline. And <laughs> I, I wow. sat in the audience, and, you know, I had this incredible experience. And you know how we have so, ama so many amazing experiences in life and also in life on drugs. And most of the experiences that we have kind of dissolve into the, the past. But occasionally there's an experience, whether it's on drugs or not on drugs, that, that imprints itself incredibly deeply on us. So this was one of those. I... I sat there and I was very, you know, really enjoyed the concert. But the revelation came when the concert was actually over. And what happened to me was the, the, the raga didn't stop. All the sounds of people talking, of people milling around, of uh, 
just, you know, the sounds that were around me were the continuation mm-hmm. of the raga. And everyone's footsteps and the moving of furniture and chairs and equipment was the continuation of the tabla, the tabla rhythms. Mm. And, and I sat there and people were coming up to me and saying, what, what, what are you doing? The concert's over. And I was saying, it's not over. It's not over. <laughs> they, they must have thought I was insane and, and maybe I was <laughs> insane. But I guess, you know, so three months later, I dropped out of school and came to California to study with Ali Akbar Khan. Mm. And... You know, all these many, 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 many years later, I, I, I never became accomplished in classical music. I, I Indian classical music. I, you know, the, I guess my commitment wasn't there to be a classical Indian musician, because I had too many other musical loves and interests. And um, but the study of the classical music and the study with Kansab. Somebody asked me just the other day, "What would you say Kansab gave to you?" and to his students, what was the main thing he gave? And I have to say that it was a reverence for, for music and a reverence for every note that we play or sing um, and a, a deep belief and understanding and experiential understanding that each note is our pathway to God. So, uh, you know, I became very, very deeply involved in the studies with, with Kansab. Mm. And then... A couple of years later, I went to India, and that's where I met Maharaji. And, of course, you know, how do we talk about the Mahasiddha who changed all our lives? But one thing I will say is that everything that happened to us while we were sitting with Maharaji happened with the backdrop of Kirtan going on. You know, every moment we were listening, even if we weren't paying attention to it, there was the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra or different Sanskrit prayers. And so Maharaji, you know, I, I often try to ask myself, well, what happened with Maharaji? What, what happened? And, you know, I can't really put it into words except to say that I, I feel like he, in me and in, in all of the people around him, planted we can say planted or awakened. That's hard to know the difference. But I like to say planted the seed of divine longing, of longing for God, of longing and love for God. And, and you know, and Maharaji himself became the conduit of that, of that longing and of that connection. Mm. And then each one of us, you know, in, in all of our lives, we, I, so many of us, you know, we, we all went into so many weird detours and this is and that's and mountains and valleys through our lives. But that, that connection with Maharaji was, has been maintained and sustained. And why? Not due to any great efforts of our own, but to his grace. Mm. And, and for me, that, that grace is always seems to be uh, in a cocoon of, of mantra and of chanting. And so, the, you know, the message that came to me, and it's different from everyone, was that watering that seed that he planted was done by chanting and by singing God's names. So so that became the primary focus of all the different music training and music interest and music love that has been part of my life. And I love to see in the kirtan movement, you know, people can sing kirtan with, with very little musical training or musical interest and um and their expression of kirtan is, is so unique and so individual, and they can sing it all on one note or, or just no note. 
for me, the aesthetics and the beauty of, 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 of conjuring and digging up different musical um, vehicles and vessels to support God's name has been, you know, the beautiful part of my, my journey and my bhakti path. And I'm so thankful to be a musician because it's like, you know, I was thinking the other day, you know, you go, you go, some people think that aesthetics is sort of a distraction, but I don't. And uh, I just remember like when we were in Bawali, you know, mm-hmm. and you go, and you go to the fruit, so the fruit walla, the, what do you call it? Apollo walla, I guess it's called. And you, you want to pick the best apples to bring to Maharaji. You want to bring the, pick the best fruit to bring to Maharaji. One week it might be apples, the next week it might be tangerines, but you're always looking for the most beautiful fruit to offer. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with music. Um, it's a constant search and uh, exploration of the, of the most beautiful fruit to offer to God in the form of the song. Um, I don't know quite how I got into that tangent, but but that but that's what I feel is my life's journey and my and my my individual expression of devotion. Mm-hmm. Well, we've gone really far here without playing a song from the new <laughs> album, and uh, we need to do that. So uh, here's here's a song that uh, that I and uh, David and I. Uh, we both agreed it was the first song. Which song do you like? You know, just uh, that grabbed you right away. So here it is, uh, and this is Hari Gunagal.
And that is a song off of Jai Utah, our guest today, and his new album, Return to Shiva Station, which we're calling a reimagining of an album that was made in the mid-90s, mid-late-ish 90s. And uh, uh, I have a couple of things, Jai, I want to ask you. Um, okay. When, when you talk about uh, the, the fact that you never really... Uh, devoted yourself to classical Indian music. And, you know, you, you just talked about that. And I, I just, you know, I have to say something, and this is my own feelings. Um, Ali Akbar Khan, everybody out there, was uh, his, uh, a name that was given to him in India was the Emperor of Melody. Correct, Jai? Yeah. Yeah. By and, his father. By his, oh, by his father. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought it was yeah. like you know, uh, the All India Radio or something. No, no it was the f the final approval that his father gave him. Wow, yeah, it was a big one.
and uh, Ali Akbar Khan has had very, you know, many people who, who, you know, were disciples, musical disciples of his, including his son. And he has a, a he has sons that range from now what sixties to uh, how old? Uh, um, Ashish just turned seventy eight last oh, year. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and Monik. I'm not sure. I think Monik is like 24, something like that. 25. Oh, I'm wow. not totally sure. And and they're all, you know, I mean, isn't uh, his son Alam is the one who's really out there now? Uh, yeah, Al- Alam, Alam is is fabulous musician he, and a beautiful young young guy. He's I guess 31 or something. You know, to my ears, he's the one that that really has his father's uh, touch and his father's passionate, beautiful melodic sense well to my ears it's jay utah (laughs) okay uh i know you don't play classical music but i'll just tell you one example okay is a record you played on of krishnadas this is and it's a more recent example and and um heart as wide as the world and it was Mm -hmm. a a, i think a song to the guru i can't remember the name of it and i believe krishnadas told me that he asked you to play Dotara, which is like a mini Sarode. Yeah. Uh, and you said, well, I don't, I haven't been playing that at all. I haven't played that instrument in years. Is that what you said to him? Something like that. Something like I, that, right? I've been quite out of practice with that instrument. Yeah. And uh, I urge you all to go out there and get a copy of that record just for that. Uh, Jai does a solo in the middle of that record, uh, uh, that song on that record. And, uh, you know, Dave and I will find it. We'll put it up on the website, Podcast. Dot com so that you can experience it. I mean, it is so sublime. And uh, so I have always uh, thought that, felt that, and I had to say it. So I said it. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one more thing to say. Okay. Uh, and it's about uh, Kirtan and the Kirtan movement, right? Which... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the records, the, the first records that you did were the first records of, of of Westerners doing kirtan. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I know Allen Ginsberg used to do kirtan, right? You know, with his little squeeze box in the in the late 60s and so on and so forth. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. Uh, uh, Bhagavan Das. Oh, I'm Bhagavan sorry. Das. Bhagavan Das. Yeah. But we were on Bhagavan Das. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were all part of that. Um, um, and the Beatles... Well, well yeah, George, Kirtan, but they they produced the, that that uh, Iskan album yeah. so so long ago. Yeah, yeah, which was also. But otherwise, great. yes, I would say. Yeah. So uh, now we come fast forward to what's going on today, and I guess you know, um, I'm not a big fan of all these people that are doing Kirtan personally. I mean, I am. I, I just feel like they're. I mean, I'll tell a little story of. Uh, you know that kind of points t- to my my own fall down on this. I was riding. I was in India when we were all together in India with Maharaji, and I was in a in a uh, you know just going by a, uh, a a big movie theater where they have these big you know uh, Bombay movies. You know, and that movie at the time that was very famous was. Uh, uh, one of the things in it, and maybe you yeah. remember the name of it, was Dum Dum. Yeah, It was a jive. So whenever Indians would see Westerners, they 
lift up their hands and make the motion of people who smoke char- uh, hash, right? Yeah. And like you stupid <laughs> hippies. And so uh, a friend of mine and I were going by there, and Jai, you know who he is. His name is Balaram. And uh, and these guys came out of the theater from seeing this movie, and they jiving us, going dum dum, you know, like you know. That was, that was a low point of Indian culture. I'll yeah, tell you. <laughs> right. So I I started to say, well, fuck you, you, you know. I started to get uptight, and Balaram turned to me and he goes, "What? It's the name. It doesn't matter. They're saying the name. It doesn't matter where it's coming, you know." Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I always remember that. Till and you know, as I go on, uh, sort of criticizing what I feel is really insubstantial uh, transmissions of the name by virtue of many people who are so involved in it. Just it's like, uh, can we? They failed rock and rollers is is the best I can say about you know most of them. And so I, you know, I when you and and you have a different uh, you know attitude towards them. Well. You know, it, I I don't want to come across as like being Mr. Good Guy Yogi or something, but the, I know that the the tendency of my mind is to be so critical and so judgmental, and 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 of course, the number one recipient of that judgment and criticism is myself, <laughs> but but secondarily, it's everybody else, and and I, I realize that there's no reason on earth that any one of us needs to love any other one of us's singing or kirtan or devotional practice because because we're just drawn to the people that we resonate with and 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 that's like so obviously perfect and as it should be so you know the the singers and stuff that I don't like I just I mean I'm not saying as as people but as as uh as kirtan wallace I just don't bother with I don't sing with them I don't listen to them but but I, I do see it as an amazing, it's an amazing phenomena. I try to look at it more like this, mm-hmm. that, that this, the practice of singing God's name is becoming so widespread and so um, popular. Yeah, a lot of it sucks. There's no question about it. And people don't have real musical understanding. And people also are very, very new to the practice. So they haven't... You know, a lot of times people come to me and say, I want to make an album. Can you give me advice? And I say, well, my vi- if you, since you ask, my advice <laughs> is, is don't make an album and, and sing Kirtan for 10 or 15 years. Um, grow to hate it, keep singing, and then grow to love it again and keep singing. And grow to hate it again and keep singing. And then grow to love, again, love it again and keep singing. And then, you know, then if you have any interest to make an album, then, you know, we'll talk about mm, it. Yeah. Um, so it's new and it has... You know, sometimes that newness is, you know, it's so apparent. But yet, yet, as Balaram said to you, how amazing that all these people are singing God's name. And, and, and where will that lead them? Where will that lead the world? Well, who knows? We don't know. But it, it, it's got to be a good thing. And, and, you know, of course, everywhere we look, we see ego because that's the nature of the human being. And in America, it's particularly... You know, you know this whole Kirtan thing. It's wrapped around celebrity. It's wrapped around performance. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. wrapped around image. It's wrapped around money. All that stuff. None of which is evil, but all of which is pretty distracting, right? Yeah. And and, um, and there it is. That's the reality of it. And and still, it's a good thing. Absolutely a good thing. 
but yeah. I, I still haven't gone to Bhakti Fest. <laughs> well, okay, between you and me and the fifteen thousand people that that are <laughs> listening, <laughs> just well, our friends. Let, let me put it this way: I love singing at Bhakti Fest. Mm. I have such a good time there. There's a really? big stage. I usually invite twenty-five or thirty people on the stage with me. Mm. The sound people absolutely hate me. Um, the last the last couple of th- uh, Bhakti Fests, I've done it with two trap drummers, and and we make a big sound, and I have a great time. But then I'm out of there. I usually come in two hours before my set and leave an hour after my set because it's just not a scene that I like to hang out in. I feel very uncomfortable there. It's very it's overly crowded. It's overly social. It's overly mm, right. all that stuff. But but uh, but at the same time, I honor it. I think it's like f- totally amazing. This is like thousands of people are getting together. Everyone has their other motivations, you know, find a girlfriend, find a boyfriend, da da da, da all that stuff. But yet it's all under this umbrella of chanting God's names and, and that's like you know, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I true. I go there, I have a great time and then I get out of there. Um the day that I went by that movie theater with Balram in the rickshaw, uh earlier in the day, I may be making this a little more dramatic, but I'm gonna tell you something that you, I don't know if I ever told you, okay? So Jai and I, everybody met in, in India, and, 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 we're, and we met around our guru, Neem Karoli Baba, and we were there when Ramdas went back the second time. And uh, so this was in Allahabad, that incident with the, uh, with the uh, Indians making fun of us after seeing the movie. Um, earlier in the day, uh, so a bunch of a bunch of Westerners. We were in Allahabad, and we were being placed in different uh, dwellings, houses. I, and yes, the, I remember that very well. You do? Oh, you remember that? That we were all. Yeah, yeah. I remember that part. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you were there with a couple of other people, a girlfriend, maybe four of you. I can't remember exactly. Gangadhar and um, I was walking over to go see Maharaji, and as I was walking on a street, you came out of a house that you were assigned to, and we said hello. We had really only known each other, you know, maybe a week or two, not very long. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, and you didn't sound good. And I said, oh, geez, what's wrong? And you said, well, you know, I have this asthma issue, and the house that we've been put in is uh, is a little moldy, so it's affecting me. And I said, "Oh, really? That's terrible." So <laughs> we <laughs> I don't remember this. Keep you going. don't? Okay. No. We get to the house where Maharaji is staying, Dada's house, and uh, go in and have a darshan. That means everybody. We we just uh, sat with him with Maharaji, and he would just play around and so on and so forth but we went in i went in this room and the guy there was an indian man that was taking care of assigning all of the places for the westerners because there was maybe 30 of us or so 30 35 so i said to this guy who spoke english right in front of maharaji i mean he was uh, two feet from me i said you know um i just walked by a house and a friend came out and he has a a health problem (laughs) Uh, and and that house he's in is really damp and uh, kind of moldy. And why don't we 
you know, I was doing what I'd been doing my whole life, trying to produce shit and, you know, should mind my own business. But I said, why don't we move? We could get him. He could stay with us. And then a couple of the people that don't have that, you know, I was arranging it. So Maharaji looks at the guy and says, what, what is he talking about? And so the guy explained to him that I was trying to move the situation around. He started screaming at this guy. Shut the fuck up. I'll tell you what I want. Tell him to. <laughs> and he looked at me. Tell him to what? Go on. Come on. No, he said, tell him to shut up. Tell <laughs> I don't know what exactly he said in Hindi because the guy wasn't going to translate for me. He was right, just right, right. like, you know, but he was yelling at this guy for even considering anything that I had to say whatsoever. Like, mind, you know, it was really a big mind your own business. Uh -huh. And and then he he looked at me with the same anger that he was looking at this guy. I almost died, Jai, <laughs> trying to get you squared away. OK, I've never <laughs> told you this. <laughs> I didn't no, live that no. down for a week of fear. He's going to wow. throw me out. Wow. <laughs> I just had no, to tell you. That. I had no recollection of that. Yeah, no. I don't know if I ever told you. It was just not something you'd, you know, immediately remember. Um, those are fascinating stories. I was just like someone in a car listening to the podcast and it's really great. <laughs> but um I a couple of things. One is we know um that you talk about the Baal tradition. And I don't think it's too academic to get into that for a minute because we're talking about the pure origin of much of the style and the essence of your music over the last uh, decades. And I'd like you to just sort of articulate for us what that tradition is, where it came from, and, and what, what it means to you. Well, um, what you're referring to are what we call the bowels of Bengal, and um, they are a, a very um, iconoclastic, pretty outrageous sect of wandering musicians and minstrels from West Bengal. Where they came from, is, you know, there's a lot of theories, but they're, they're kind of a, a mixture of Su Sufism, uh, Tantrism, and, and Vaishnav Hinduism. They, they, I guess they appeared sometime in the 1800s, and they wander around Bengal, and they sing, they beg, and they used to be really shunned by society there until Rabindranath Tagore, the great Bengali poet, announced to the world at large pretty much that, that this is your Bengali treasure and you should, you should honor these people. So, so the public opinion about them turned. And, and the Baals have their own particular style of music and their own particular style of poetry or, or you know, songwriting, I guess is more accurate to say. And it's, I first heard them on record before I even came to California, when I was a teenager in New York, this Nonsuch record called The Street Singers of Bengal, and, and the passion and the beauty and the kind of rawness of their singing and of their playing completely, completely captured, and captured my heart and captured my mind. And uh, so then it was years later, it was 1975, I think, I think, uh, that I actually made it to Bengal and looked around quite a bit. It was not so easy to, found, to find the, the bowels. And, but I did find them. I was with my good friend Gangadhar, who was, lives still nearby and is still very involved in bowel music. And um, we hung out with him for months and months and months. And, you know, they, they don't have temples. They don't believe in 
in images. They don't believe in external images, but they worship. They're, they're complete bhaktas, and they worship God. They call God the man of the heart. Mm. So, they, so they, they see God as being the indweller of the heart, the resident of their own heart. And, and uh, that's their temple, and that's their, their adoration, and that's their pujas. And their songs are, are, are you know, it's folk music, but in, in India, traditions of Indian folk music and, and Indian classical music, there's a lot of, you know, ways and places where you see that they intermingle. Um, and so, so the songs are, are still based in different ragas and different very, very ancient melodic um, forms, but they're really raw and they're really rustic and they're always reaching to the highest range of their voices and and the rhythms are, are driving almost dance rhythms and and they're worshiping Radha and Krishna they're worshiping the invisible what they call the invisible one um, so so the time spent with them was one of the most important times of my life one of the most fun times of my life too and one of the most just amazing times I studied a bunch of inst instruments with them, like the the dotar that ragu that you mentioned, this miniature mm. sarod, yeah. is is really a bowel instrument. And um, having studied sarod so much, I I play it in a bit more of a classical style than the bowels do. Yeah. But it but it's really just unique to their to their tradition. I don't see it anywhere else in India. Mm. And um, they put ankle bracelets on their ankles, the bracelets on the ankles that make big noises and they dance while they sing and amazing dancers and, and so you know you know the bob dylan album john wesley harding you must yes. know, right? so yeah. there's two rather strange indian looking guys on the cover yes and that is uh those guys are pornadas bowel and lakshmandas bowel who were brought to woodstock by alan ginsburg mm. uh, alan wanted everybody to get introduced to the bowels he was so impressed by them so so I don't know what happened with Bob Dylan and the Bowels of Bengal, but they recorded an album at Bing, Big Pink. It's very hard to find. It's it's the Bowels at, Bing, at Big Pink. But anyway, I was wandering around this town called Bolpur and, and Shanti Nikitan, these two little neighboring towns in West Bengal. I'd gotten a place to stay, Gangadhar and I, and we were trying to find the Bowels. We, where could we find them? And we didn't see anybody that looked like a Bowel. We didn't see any evidence of them. So one day we were at this little chai shop off on a little dirt road. And in the distance, we see we started hearing this drum sound and this guy singing completely off tune. It was like just kind of horrible, but cool. <laughs> so finally we see coming down the road this old, old man. He's dressed in patchwork quilted robes, you know, many colors with a big turban. And he's got a little baya, like the, the, the low half of a tabla set attached to his waist by a rope, and he's playing that with one hand, his left hand, and in his right hand he's playing this one-stringed ektar, holding it way high in the air, and he's singing at the top of his lungs. And um, he was quite impressive. It was like quite a, you know, a magnetism there. The, the, the voice, maybe when he was younger it might have been good, but it was lost, you know. But there was something very impressive about him. So he sat down and, and had a tea there, right where we were. We didn't talk to him. Um, I didn't know what to say or how to say it. I didn't know any Bengali. And anyway, after a while, he got up and continued on the on the way. And so Gangadhar and I, from a discreet distance, followed him. You know, we always wanted to be spies, but 
<laughs> so he, he walked about a half mile down the road, and there was a little mela, a little gathering. There, um, you know, it was a Bengali village gathering. It wasn't tons of people, but there was a tent and a stage. And each singer on the stage would be surrounded by 20 or 30 different people who were sitting. And, you know, I think it was this family. There, were, there, were, there was women nursing babies, and there was old ladies, and there was young people and young men and women. They're all sitting and singing the chorus and playing, you know, finger cymbals and drums and clapping, while the main guy was standing up with one microphone and, and singing the lead of the song. And the main guy kept kept switching to you know for the different songs, and it was incredible. the 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 joy of it was was amazing. There was only maybe fifteen or twenty people in the audience. I, I actually, there was more people on stage than in the audience. That is for sure. And the sound system was wretched, and you know it was just very funky little village affair. But it was great. And when the musicians got off the stage we went to speak to this guy. And lo and behold, it was Lakshman Das Bal who was on the cover of Bob Dylan's album. Wow. Huh. And, and the first thing he said was, in very, very halting English, he said, do you have any LSD? And, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't. <laughs> but after that, we started chatting, and that he introduced us to a younger guy named, um, named uh, Bajanat Das Bal. And Bajanat, became our teacher. We rented this little house in, in the dried up uh, riverbed and outside of the town. It was this really cool house that was all sculpted. There was an Indian man named Kiran Sinha who had been a very, very well-known artist. He was, you know, very, uh, Indira Gandhi was his patron and it was a big thing, but he, he didn't like the worldly life. So he retired to West Bengal with his Austrian wife and turned this house into his art project. So like, you know, even the, the, the banisters on the stairways were all sculpted. It was crazy. Wow. It was like, it was like, I don't know, it was like Narnia or something. <laughs> and, yeah. and so we lived there and Bajanat came three or four times a week and gave us lessons in, in vowel songs and vowel instruments. And we would write down the words phonetically and then Kiran, the Indian, the land, landlord, would translate the words for us. And, mm -hmm. um, and it was a f fabulous time. And, and gradually after several weeks, uh, the, our house got a little notoriety. And, and every night or afternoon, a different group of bowels would come by to sing, to perform, to ask for money, to get fed. You know, and um, we'd, we hosted them all. Uh, you know, some of them were beautiful, beautiful people. And some of them were like, you know, hide the passports, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, they all had something really rich about them and just full of energy and full of just, just beauty. You know, I mm. loved it, loved them so much. And we should, so, uh, we should play a track. Uh, actually, what the, the track off the record, it, would it be closest to, to obviously, would it be Corner? That we should play. Well, yeah, I, I guess Haraguna Gao, the one you just played, is, is a bell song. Uh -huh. Okay, all right. But, so that gives a flavor to people. We do it. Let's do Corner too, because okay. now musically Corner is not very bell-like, but the lyrics of Corner are from a bell song. Yeah, that's right. Here's Corner, Jai Utah, Return to Shiva Station. Mm -hmm. 
Jai, I have another. Uh, I want to know something about this other song, but but before I even ask that, just just give us a little bit of the genesis of doing this album. I think that's important uh, uh, for for people to to get uh, wh- why you did this and okay. how it came about. Well, you know, as you know, but maybe probably not many of the listeners know, Shiva Station fifteen years ago was. Well, it was probably my my biggest album, and it, and it was it was a very, you know, how do I say this without sounding pretentious? It was a a very 
important album at the time. There was nothing like that happening. And, and um, it, I feel like it was an album that just kind of exploded with energy and with, with newness and originality and, and started a lot of the trends that we're all involved in today. But, you know, there's, there was also a big frustration around it. You know, we, we were performing, that band, Pagan Love Orchestra, was, was performing. We were performing a lot, but, but there was no real support for us. You know, in terms of there was no movement, there was no, you know, where, where, what were we? Where do we fit in? So gradually, even though the album gained a lot of popularity, gradually the frustration of trying to move forward with a band like that, with that music, was just too crazy. I felt like I was beating my head against the wall and that all the messages in the universe were saying, you know, let it go for a bit. And that's when all the doors started opening of people inviting me just to sing very traditional kirtan with them. Mm -hmm. So it was a big, you know, it was a turning point um, in a lot of ways. Um, But it's a very loved album. So anyway, but it was the past, right? Uh, It was about a year ago, Sounds True, the record company who I record a lot of my albums for. It's not an exclusive situation, but we're good friends and, and they're a great company, asked me if I would consider doing a remake of, of Shiva Station in, oh, really? a, in, a, in a, you know, completely acoustic, mm. more gentle uh, approach that, that kind of matches w- with today, I guess. Uh, you know, it was a concept that they had. And my manager, Stephen, thought it was a great concept. And I said, I don't really think it's a good concept because, you know, I have so much new material Every day I have new material, and why would I want to go back to old material? Right. And and they said they said, well, yeah, we understand you, but why don't you just give it a try? Try, you know, work with one song, maybe two songs, and see what happens, and then make your decision. So, so I did, and um, I found that it was a a very beautiful and challenging process, challenging musically because you know we were a big band with a horn section and um, lots of instrumental written instrumental parts and lots of jamming and you know you know it was very electric so to recreate it on an acoustic guitar or a banjo and still have that dynamic musical um composition i guess you could say but but very scaled down was very challenging and and i enjoyed the challenge but also you know there was other levels too you know you know how how it is if you're moving your house and you come across a box of old photographs and mm. you see kind of like with each photograph, there's certain unresolved feelings and memories. And, you know, some of the memories are very beautiful and some of them are very painful. But you look at them all and there's that kind of melancholy and, you know, the, the sense of time gone by in the past, but also always a certain kind of a healing uh, experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it 10% full? Um, did you hear that voice just then? Yeah, I don't know what that was. Okay. Well, anyway, every song was like that. And, and it was a beautifully uncomfortable process that I decided I wanted to, to mm-hmm. explore. Mm-hmm. And then, then on top of that, most of the songs, I said, well, I'll say not every song, but most of the songs still had a lot of, you know, I could sing them with, still with a lot of feeling and a lot of um, 
you know, they, I really liked the songs and I had performed them live a lot. So they were really invested with a lot of energy. So, go, so that's the third level of, of, you know, enjoyment in the, in the process. So after doing one song, I said to Sanstrio, I said, okay, let's do it. Mm. And, and that, that kind of characterized the whole process. Musically, it was challenging also because, well, my, my main musical exploration these last, say, three years or something has been Brazilian guitar. I have, I have a, a teacher and a friend who's just like a beautiful guy and he's just a wonderful friend and a wonderful teacher named Jose Neto who plays on the album. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where my musical headspace has been. So I was trying to put that into these songs as well as, you know, rendering them in some way that represented the way they were originally. Right. I don't know. It's kind, of, it's kind of hard to put in words, but, but you know, it was, it was a challenge and it was a fun challenge and a beautiful challenge. And um, then there's the other thing is like, you know, here I am a singer with so many albums and I'm still insecure about my singing um, <laughs> on a daily basis which is, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of good because I'm able to help other people who are insecure with their singing just, just because they look at me and they say, you're insecure with your singing? Mm. <laughs> well, so, okay, so it's okay. And I say, yeah, it's okay. Right, it's right. just part of life. But anyway, most of my albums, there's a lot of orchestration. There's lots of instruments. And, you know, I hate to say it, but that it, that's, you know, that's also a way of hiding my voice a little bit. Um, that's not, you know, that's only a part of the story. So I'm not going to say that's the whole story, but that's there. And then here with, with Return to Shiva Station, the instrumentation is very simple. It's mostly yeah. two guitars and a bass with a little percussion. There's no, there's not even any drums. You know, one song has toggles on it. The rest is just like little shakers and stuff. So, so my voice is much more exposed, which is, uh, <laughs> agonizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not oh, for my us. God, not, not for, for us. us, yes. It's not yeah. agonizing one little bit for yeah. us, Giants. Not, we're not being our secrets. Let's just do a quick, I hate to do this commercial, you can get Giants. Thank albums, God you're thinking uh, about our... And Amazon, and if you go to Amazon portal on mindrollingpodcast.com, you can bookmark that, and it helps us by, uh, we get a, a small amount from every purchase you do on Amazon. It's important for you to do that if you want to support this podcast. Uh, other Jai albums are, I'm trying to remember, Kirtan, Music for Yoga and Other Joys, Footprints, Bhakti Bazaar, and of course, the original Shiva Station. All available, all worth getting. Please do it. <laughs> Thank you. Greta. Have you guys heard uh, Queen of Hearts? No. Maybe you haven't heard it. That's it, not a record I have heard. It's reggae and samba. Oh. It's, all, it's all call and response kirtan. Uh, all but one song to Radha and Krishna. And um, it's a full-on reggae ska samba experience. Wow. Okay. So um, I'll bring some to, to Maui when I, when I see you. Hey, we should, we should, um, when is this podcast airing, by the way? This podcast is going to air, when is it going to air, David? I don't know, I'm, I think next week and... No, but, no, no, it has to, what, Jai, when's the record coming out? It's coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow, then we're yeah. going to air this on Thursday. We okay, got to air awesome. it this week because it's, it, okay. it doesn't make sense. We got to be yeah. right on it with everybody. So uh, that kind of wraps us for this podcast. That's let, the let end. Me add, let yes, me add two, please. Two things, uh, especially since it's it's airing on Thursday. 
um, as you know, I'm going to be coming to Maui in, well, I think, two weeks to do the retreat with Ramdas. And um, is that sold out? Uh, it's pretty sold out, guys. But oh, so, but you've brought yeah. up something really important. It's going to be streamed at least over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is April uh, uh, 11, 12, and 13. You'll be yeah. able to get the morning sessions, and uh, it won't be the kirtan, Jai, but okay, you, but it'll be a session that you're you know one of the sessions will be with Jai and Ramdas. So you guys can go to ramdas.org and you can navigate right into signing up for the stream. Awesome, and I'd like to just advertise one other thing. Yes, which is our I, it's our thirteenth annual summer kirtan camp. Um, every summer for the last. 12 years, well, this will be 13. Wow. We spend a week together. People come and we sing kirtan all week. I, I teach music, some music stuff. A young guy named Daniel Tucker comes and teaches beginning harmonium. And my wife, Nubia, teaches yoga. Mm. So this is August 12th through August 17th, I think it is, at Harbin Hot Springs in, in Northern wow. California. And you can find out about that at my website, which is jagutal.com. Com. Does everyone get to, to be naked doing all of these events together at Harbin? Well, uh, <laughs> no, no. Our kirtan, we've never done the kirtan. Naked kirtan, a new thing. Wait, 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 pause. <laughs> we've never done said. the kirtan at Harbin before. And ours, so there is that question. But our section of Harbin that we are renting is away from the pools. We have our oh. own private warm swimming pool. But I think that for our kirtans, it's not going to be clothing optional. You've no. got to wear clothing. And you've got to wear bathing suits at our swimming pool. But for people like you and like, Dave. Most, like yeah. most of us. Yeah, Canadian and an English person. Yeah, we're real free yeah. with our bodies. Yeah, yeah right. right. You can walk uh, probably 10 minutes. And get over there to the to the naked <laughs> tubs. Well, it's still you know it's it's something. It's definitely something. Hey, Jai, thank you so much for hanging out with us here on Mind Rolling Podcast. We we really appreciate it, and you know we're longtime lovers of of the music. So uh, we this is great for us to be able to share with everybody out there. And uh, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna close it with uh, with another song. I, I figure you know this is about music. We need to have more music in this. Uh, so we'll uh, I, I kind of like this Budgeray song. Um, uh, so we're we're gonna play that from the album Return to Shiva Station, Jai Utah. And um, Jai plays around. Just go to jaiutal.com. You can uh, tune into the Kirtan Camp and, and Jai's other Jai tours a lot. And uh, we'll come to your neighborhood. You should go see him. And uh, look forward to uh, let's do a little bit more of this. We got lot, there's lots more musical stuff that we could get into. Like we could have a show, Jai, with you um, picking tunes. That would be a fabulous show. Okay. Let's okay. Do Let's do that. Let's do Come back. Yeah. Come back. Come John. back. Okay, yeah. for sure. For Thank sure. You. It's totally my pleasure. Great to talk to both of you guys. Wonderful. Um, and, you know, my, my internet has been a little dodgy lately because they've been working on the street outside. So I think oh. that's why we had a little Oh, okay. Well, we're, we're, it's going to be fine. And all love to you. And Dave, same to you. And you. Uh, we'll see you at Mind Rolling Podcast next week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.
बजारे गुरु बजारे ओ बजारे गुरु बजारे ओ बजारे गुरु बजारे ओ बजारे गुरु बजारे दिल Deva